It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Jim Taddy here. Welcome to Leaf Sky, episode 21, season three. And over the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to deal with a two game sample size for the Leafs. Marvelous win at home to Edmonton Saturday night. Tough loss at home to Buffalo on Monday night. David Alter from the SI Media Group is our guest. Before we get going, ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook? The biggest tournament in college basketball is here. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 in college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can bet a no-sweat bet during round one and two of the tournament. Go to the app, opt-in, place a no-sweat bet this weekend, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Sign up with the code XXX. That's triple X. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Win or lose, only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code XXX. Triple X. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. Since we spoke last, a two-game sample size, and they include a marvelous comeback win over Edmonton Saturday night at home to the Oilers. This was a marvelous comeback. Connor McDavid had scored to make it 3-1, and then Marner, with a highlight reel goal, absolutely raised the roof on the Scotiabank Arena and pumped his teammates up, and they rallied to win 7-4. Monday night, it was the complete reversal. A 2-0 Leafs lead evaporated. They were down 4-2. To a late goal by Nylander made it close, but this was the complete opposite of what happened on Saturday night. So the ultimate question that comes out of this is, what do we have here? Don't really know. Let's check out our conversation with David Alter from the SI Media Group. Hey, David, the last couple of games, just a little off in that it wasn't the full 60 minutes, Maple Leafs. There were gaps there. Saturday night, they came back in fine fashion. And Monday night against Buffalo, it cost them, didn't it? Yeah, it, it did. Um, a lot more self-inflicted on Monday against Buffalo. And I think that's just because, you know, Callie Yarncroke, I think, put it best that at some point or another in that second period after they had that 2 nothing lead, they just stopped playing. Like, they really didn't just – they didn't – forecheck like it was it was kind of going back to the kind of way they were and 
you know, I kind of thought it was interesting that of all games, this was one that Sheldon Keith decided not to necessarily call out the effort of his team and just kind of say that, you know, maybe they were, they were just tired and stuff that Buffalo was doing was, was kind of pushing the pace of play. I mean, credit to the Sabres, you know, they're starting to remind me of the Toronto Maple Leafs from 2016, 17, that yeah. would spend a lot of time in the offensive zone, but just didn't have uh, all the skill together to play a good 200 foot game uh so buffalo's got skill now and uh they had more desperation and the toronto maple leafs really not playing for anything ahead of them and just using this time to kind of experiment with what works and what doesn't work and when they do that uh this kind of i don't want to say complacency because i don't think it's that but this kind of maybe attitude at points in the game starts to creep in a little bit because we really are just kind of biding our time until April. Now help me out with a Sheldon Keefe uh, quote at the end of the game on Monday night. He said, I thought I heard him say that he wasn't happy with the second period. It might've been their worst of the season. Yeah, it, it was like, there really just was no effort in there. They didn't really push anything. And it's funny because it started with the two nothing lead, right? Like they score yeah. those two goals. In the first few minutes, it's looking pretty good. They get those first couple of goals, but then they just kind of sat back. Like, they they really didn't push any sort of pace of play, and they got a little bit passive in their own zone, too. I mean, it was 16 consecutive shots on goal that spanned into the third period for the Buffalo Sabres. Like, it was just not good at all. And um, I get it. They're trying a lot of different things. You know, 11 forwards and seven defensemen has been a hot-button topic and something the Leafs have done for four of the last five games now as they try to find the right mix of who's going to play defense in the playoffs. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of, uh, I don't want to say unsettling. Like, it's, it's just, it's not surprising, but they have to kind of not let this kind of, passive play seep in because this is kind of what burns them in the playoffs when they kind of look past these games and and then uh when it comes time to kind of really push it and take it to a next gear they don't seem to find it so uh, you don't want to see that going in that's for sure okay let's drill a little deeper on the seven defensemen i mean it, it's uh it's an ensemble cast to say the very least and that's without luke shen so and it's clear that connor timmons isn't going to play so what, what do you make of what you've seen so far I don't mind them trying the seven defensemen. Like, I really don't. Like, they have a surplus. Um, Eric Gustafson, to me, seems like he could be the number eight in that regard with Shen coming back. Like, uh, all this seven defensemen talk has really kind of been in an effort to kind of get Gustafson some games. And so... um, it's kind of hard to see where he kind of fits in with everything because, you know, they traded Rasmus Sandin for him. He's a power play specialist, puts up a lot of points, but if you're not putting him in that position on PP one or some of the other things, he's just another guy. But at the same time, what Sheldon Keefe said, and the point is true that you can't just have a guy there in there in case of injuries and he doesn't play for a month and a half and expect him to be effective. So that's why they do what they're doing here. And, and even a practice on Sunday, not having Ryan O'Reilly kind of pushes that issue because the next guy after their 11 forwards is Holmberg or Steves. And so 
Um, those are guys that haven't played a lot that probably don't factor in unless injuries really start to take their toll. And so you brought these guys, you got to use them and figure out a way. And so you, you can kind of excuse the play based on just trying to get new guys' feet wet. But at some point or another, that, that excuse is going to grow tired. What's your best guess on, on who the starting six are? If the playoffs were to start tomorrow night, who do you think would line up? Oh, okay. Well, I think your automatics are Brody, McCabe, Riley, Giordano. Yep. I think you have to put Justin Hall in there, but to me, that's kind of up for debate there. But just given how much Keefe relies on him for the penalty killing ability, there's there's that. Um, and then it's really a toss-up, I think, between Lilligren and Shen for number six. And if you go seven, you have both of them. That's, yeah. that's kind of where I, where I go there. You know, I think Lilligren has earned the right to at least start game one. And if he struggles like he did last year, you can pull him out. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a guy in your system for an additional year. I don't think you want to repeatedly sit him and not give him the opportunity, at least the right of first refusal but maybe not his refusal, the coach's refusal in, in the way that clause is written out where give him the chance because he's earned the chance because he's been there all the way and you're committed to the guy. And if he starts to struggle or you don't want to go 17, you want to go six, you push the Luke Shen button or the Eric Gustafson button and flip it around that way. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the four regulars for sure. And then four guys battling for two spots and there's different looks there. So I mean, I kind of like that depth and that leaves Connor Timmons on the outside, which yeah. I think everybody understands what they sign him to the extension to say, you're part of our future and just watch now. Yeah. Well, and don't forget the reason why the Leafs got Connor Timmons was because Arizona was going to lose him on waivers. So the Leafs really had no choice when they traded Curtis Douglas for him to keep him on their active roster. It's not even a situation where they can get him into the Marlies because, you know, he's up with the main roster. Maybe they can convince him to go on a conditioning stint uh, if, if they're worried about him sitting for too long. But uh, other than that, uh, yeah, the whole reason they got him for essentially a way lower prospect was because Arizona was going to lose him on waivers and they didn't have room. So uh, they were using Timmins when they had the room for him. Uh, but right now when they loaded up on the depth, Timmons is a guy of the future, not a guy of the present. That is for sure. You know, I go back to Saturday night. The Marner goal that jump-started everything was was such a, I call it a moment, really, for the Maple Leafs because I, I felt that uh, in the building you could sense that something was different. I mean, it was a fantastic play, a bad pass by McLeod, but nonetheless, what Marner did with it seemed to lift everybody in the building. And so, and I guess we're all guilty of this. You look for that moment to translate into into the Cinderella run, if you will, and, and it's just last night obviously proved that that's not going to happen. But I do feel that uh, things are different this year. Do you? I do. Um, I mean, the defensive identity has been the number one, keeping the average goals against down, particularly early in the season, kind of seemed to set the tone that things kind of have to be different. Um, a lot of people point to the fact that Austin Matthews is in putting up the points that he has been last year. But he's been doing a lot of the other things like leading among, leading forwards among shot blocks and doing a lot of the other things that 
are a better frame of overall player for what you need for the postseason. So there are those things. I still worry about the goaltending. It's been the number one uh, liability for the Leafs going into the season. Uh, they they doubled down on that by not adding to their depth when they could have at the deadline to just add another goalie as insurance just in case something happens. Um, I could be completely wrong on that, and that wouldn't be the first time. But I think if there is an undoing, it could happen in goal. And um, that's what gives me pause. But outside of that, yeah, they are improved in every way. But I think they have to show that when push comes to shove and what the, the playoffs demand, that they're ready to do it. And I think that's why they got the Acharis. They got the the real physical bruisers that can see. When you see a guy like that level a hit, it gets everybody lifted. And it, it, it kind of makes everyone kind of look at themselves on the bench being like, hey, maybe I got to do that a little bit more. And they just didn't have those guys on the bench before. And so you add all that together. Yeah, I do think they're improved. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Tampa kind of finishes their season and how they match up against them because – uh, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be the tough one as it usually is. Um, that statement you made about about Matthews, uh, you know, defensively, if you go back, there was a great sequence uh, on the television version of the game last night where they showed Matthews uh, in his own zone dealing with Thompson and others that set the the breakout that resulted in the Yarncroft goal, uh, and I thought that was just brilliant. I mean, there's a guy 200 feet away from the net creating the play that that he helps finish off. Yeah, uh, that's that's a great example of just kind of the more defensive zone time that he's spending and, and being effective in it uh, to kind of result in offense, whether it's for him or for his teammates. And um, I'm not saying it's different than last year in terms of Matthews putting up points like crazy. Like, he obviously had better looks last year, um, and he he was definitely feeling it, better shooting percentage, all that other stuff. He's been dealing with a lot more this year in terms of injuries and whatnot. Um, but yeah, he's just so sound defensively. And it was one of the things that everyone was saying in those first few months when I talked to different players individually to the side is that like, I think you can see that we're the identity, uh, the identity of our team this year is de- defense. And I remember there's one anecdotal thing I'll never, um, I never actually shared with anybody, but there was one time we were kind of uh, waiting outside of a game. I can't remember which one it was outside of the room on the road. And Rasmus Sandin is on the bike and he had just finished off one of his better games where he had been moved up to the top four in wake of the Riley injury. And um, he was kind of talking casually with Kyle Dubas, who's walking by and, uh, Sandine with smile on his face, working on the bike, just reiterating defense wins championships. And so, you know, it's that old cliche, but in a lot of ways it's true. And it's one of those things where I think that there's been a real recognition from this franchise that um, that has to be so much better if they're really going to take it to that next level, despite all the other weapons that they have offensively, offense has never been the issue. And so someone like Austin Matthews is kind of taking the lead in that regard even though he's putting up points, it may not be at the MVP level he was doing last year, but he's doing all those other things to ensure that his team has a better chance at the postseason come April. 
And if you think about it, that's the best counter of all time. I mean, obviously, people are, are limiting his, his looks and, and his uh, space on the ice. And if you can counter that with better defensive play, that, that's the ultimate answer, isn't it? Right. And it's freed up guys like William Nylander, who spent a lot of time with Matthews on a line together this season to put up career numbers and do all those kind of things. It's I like to make football comparisons all the time but it's like having a strong wide receiver that just gets double or triple covered all the time and becomes the decoy and uh it frees up for other guys to be options and so austin matthews isn't unlike those guys like when it comes to that the other thing i will say and i know i'm changing topics a little bit and i was mentioning this yesterday is i would be very curious to see if between now and the end of the season if they want to see if William Nylander has taken that next step in his game to move him down on a, a line by himself on the third line to see if he can be like a Marner and a Matthews where he himself is driving the line of his teammates because he has taken that step in his game while Ryan O'Reilly is out. And I would be curious to see because if that happens and they they do feel his defensive game has gotten better, then that's the next evolutionary step in number 88's game. Well, and when you think about it, when Ryan O'Reilly comes back, this will be a nice little ad. I don't know if it's a little ad, but a nice ad for the team. I mean, where does he play? You know, we go back to that debate again. Does he play with Tavares? Does he move up with, with Matthews? Does he center his own line? Great problem to have. I think he centers his own line for a lot of reasons. Like, I think you're seeing, I think you're seeing now there's some real chemistry back with Mar- uh, with Matthews and Kerfoot. And if it's not Kerfoot, it would be Bunting back into that spot on the first line. Then you move one of those other two guys onto a second line um, to play with, with Nylander and Tavares, or, or you can actually put Yarncroke up there because Yarncroke has played pretty well with those guys. And I would actually make the argument that Yarncroke should be in that spot because he just seems to be the best version of himself when he's in that top six. It just hasn't necessarily worked out in a bottom six role. Although the, this third line could be like a second line so maybe you can make the justification that yarn croak could go on the third line but there's all kinds of exciting possibilities including lafferty up the middle too right so so um you can move him back to the wing if you feel ryan o'reilly's conditioning is into the point where he's center ready you can have lafferty in the middle and move ryan o'reilly up to a top six winger or third line winger in that role that's going to be the real Interesting part, because Ryan O'Reilly is going to begin skating again this week, even if he can't grip a stick and and doing all the other things while he recovers from a broken finger. Um, But there's going to be that bit of a drop off. Remember, like he just played a few games before he was traded from a broken foot. So there's not concern, but you kind of have to figure out that late in the year when games are that intense now, where is he going to factor in? Yeah, they got lucky that he's he's going to be ready for the playoffs, but it's still not ideal in terms of the preparation of where he was going to kind of fit in. And that's going to be something that the Leafs are only going to have a handful of games to kind of figure out. Yeah, I was just looking at their schedule uh, in April. They have eight games from April 1st to April 13th. So there's plenty of opportunity there. You worry about Ryan O'Reilly and his ability to take a face-off 
with the broken finger. And, you know, I just don't know how precarious it is when he comes back and, and you certainly yeah. don't want him to get slashed there again, but well, let's end on this. I, I think the versatility, you know, we can harp on this and maybe the record won't be great for the next couple of weeks, but uh, I think as it gets closer to the playoffs, they would have developed a pretty good harmony with, with eight defensemen um, and pretty good harmony up front with, in terms of flexibility, like anybody can play anywhere. And so I guess the the bottom line that comes out of this is no matter what anybody throws you in the playoffs, you have an adjustment. And I don't think we would have said that before. Yeah, they have, they actually have good options. Like it's not one of those things where if there is someone that does fall to the wayside, uh, you feel like the drop off is significant. Now, of course it's going to depend on who that is, but if Lilligren gets hurt, it's not a catastrophe. Let's put it that way, right? Like, yeah. that's an example. Or if Lafferty gets hurt or Achari gets hurt, it's probably not a disaster. I mean, Leaf fans will probably react that way regardless because that's just how, how they are. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's one of those things where you have depth. You can slot guys in. You can kind of figure out next man up, but not do it in a way where you feel like, oh, well, this person, this, I don't know, if, if there's enough of a template here for that person to succeed or not, they've the least have had, I think it's like 31 or 32 different guys play this season before all these trades uh, happen. So there are, there are now things you can kind of look back on and kind of figure out, Oh, okay. I can kind of figure out him and go there. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily like how often the lines get changed or whatever, but the, the bottom line is, the Leafs do not have a lot to play for between now and the playoffs. And so a lot of these games are just going to be like, just looking at your watch, let's land the plane here. Let's get to the playoffs and kind of figure out what's what. And so, you know, um, it's going to be funny when they do clinch second, it could be like with three or four games left. And I'm very curious to see how those lines are because, it could be a lot of money on the table not playing just to give other guys an opportunity to see just just yeah. to see what they do and just to preserve guys like Ryan O'Reilly might come back but then they may not be able to play him because they just want to rest guys because they don't want to run the risk of injury and and all that stuff it's going to be really interesting last year they only had one game like that that was against Boston at the end of the year now they might have a few just given the separation and you chart on your Twitter account all the different line combinations. What's yeah. that been like? Well, I, yeah, it's my Twitter account is one thing, but I also have like a website that's tracked every forward for the, for the start of every game. Forward lines, defense pairs, and goalie combos. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's I look at it and it's like, yeah, it's all over the place. But for me, it's mostly a template just so that if they do try something new, I can look back and be like, did they do this or how, how many times did they do this last year? And so um, that's really what that's there for, for people to look at, but also for myself, just to kind of have a quick reference to be like, Oh, they did that and that. And so uh, at this, at, at this particular game, there's other sites that tell you, you know, how many minutes a line is played together, but they don't exactly tell you when that took place. And so, it's an important resource for me to have, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's a lot of line mixing and matching. And, you know, a lot of people get frustrated that uh, Sheldon Keith moves around the lines and stuff. I personally think at some point or another, you kind of want to stop the experimentation because I do think that changing things too much can have a negative effect. 
Um, but uh, I'm not the coach, and we'll see what we'll see what happens between now and uh, the end of the season because I feel like it's just going to be a, a jumble as these games become less and less significant before the playoffs. Last minute of play in this podcast. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Look at he split. Yes, guy, no guy on the way out. Here we go. Yes, guy, no guy, number one. Seven eleven has to go. Yes, guy. Absolutely. Don't mind the 11 forwards. Don't like the seven defensemen. Yes, guy, no guy, number two. You like the least blue line. Well, that's a yes guy. I know that sounds contradictory, but I do like the depth there in the different looks. I just don't like seven in one game. So that's a yes guy. And yes guy, no guy. You are concerned about the games that will finish the regular season for the Leafs. Absolutely no guy. Don't care about them at all. When the playoffs start, the slate is clean. Thanks for downloading Episode 21, Season 3 of Leafs Guy. I hope you come back next week for Episode 22.